0: Welcome to IVF Tales, a podcast hoping to make the world of fertility treatment less lonely. We want to start conversations about different fertility journeys to empower your decisions and build a community that understands. Each week we will speak to someone whose journey to having a child has taken a little bit more than a few vodka cruises. We are your hosts, Tiffany and Amy. Hey guys, in today's episode we chat with Beth about her um, four IVF cycles. Uh, all of those IVF cycles has been through a bulk billing IVF clinic. Yeah, so
1: she talks about um, those cycles with the clinic and some early miscarriages that she had um, and also... A new diagnosis that she
0: received at a private clinic that she sought a second opinion from. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, we actually touch base briefly towards the end of the episode about um, just wondering if she's got any comparisons between the uh, bog billing clinic versus the private. Um, so, if you if that interests you, then that's definitely worthwhile a list of listening. Um, she chats a lot about her mental health during her treatments um, and how she coped or, or didn't cope to begin with and then some coping mechanisms that she incorporated to ensure that, you know, she was maintaining her self-care and things like that during her treatments.
1: Yeah, so I think her line of work gives her a really interesting perspective on it and um, I feel like there's a lot that... I took away from the conversation as well as far as looking after yourself during treatment and Mm -hmm.
0: your mental health as well. Yeah, she's quite open with her treatment, um, with her workplace and her family and friends and things like that. Um, She also talks about um, her diagnosis of being a Tay-Sachs carrier, um, which is a genetic disorder uh, that, you know, she was going to be an egg donor and then for some friends of hers, and found that she was a carrier of this gene. So we discussed that as well, if that's of interest. Um, as Tiff said, I, I got a lot from the episode as well. It's very interesting. She's very honest and raw and candid with her um, her journey. And I think, you know, Beth has a lot to say, and she's her, her information is quite uh, valuable. So we're hoping that um, we'll
1: get an update for Beth on her treatment. Um... In the near
0: future, and we can bring that to you as well. So, we hope you enjoyed today's episode, guys. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Beth, on IVF Tales. Thank you for having me. Lovely. Would you like to just get us started by introducing yourself, um, telling us a little bit about who you are, where you're located, and who's in your family?
1: Uh, so, my name's Beth. Um, I'm 30. I'm a social worker. Um, I work at uh, well, I went for Queensland Health at one of the um, forensic hospitals in forensic mental health. Um, I'm married and my husband is a nurse mm-hmm. um, and he's 30 as well. Uh, we have two fur babes, so two pups. Uh, their name's are the baby George and Fat Dylan. Mm-hmm. And we've been trying to have a baby for coming up to two years, I think. Yeah.
0: How did you um come up with the the names of your fur babies? Are they dogs or cats or what?
1: <laughs> yeah, they're dogs. So um, baby George, they're brothers. So we got them from the same litter. Um, and baby George is just the smaller of the two, the smaller and kind of the clingier one. And um, that Dylan, his original name was Bob Dylan, but he he just he's a big chubber and um. He's very food orientated, so his name progressed with his character, I
0: guess, a yeah. that villain. I love it. I love it. It's like Tiff's cat's names are Fred and Michael. It's just so great. I love it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> my, my cats are also girls as well. <laughs> yeah.
0: And oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't clarify that at all. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Awesome. Did you want to get this started by um, just, you know, delving into your fertility story?
1: Yeah, so I guess um, my story started a bit um, out of the norm. Like my initial um, commencement of of fertility stuff was when I was looking to donate my eggs for... um, my friends, they wanted to start a family and I had offered um to be the female factor, I guess, for their um fertility journey for, for the boys. Um and so part of that process is the donor needs to um, you know, meet with their fertility specialist to um, you know, have a look at everything and make sure that you're an ideal donor. So I started um of that process and um a few kind of red flags came up with that um i you know i had a lower i guess an average amh for my age i think i was maybe 27 then it wasn't scary low but it was um low it was borderline low um and also we did some genetic testing because they had some you know um, I guess issues that I needed to make sure I wasn't a carrier for and I came back as being a carrier for K-Sax which is a um, just an awful terminal um, illness if the um, child has K-Sax it's terminal kind of I think before the age of five so um, the low egg ca- count came up and that put a pause on things and then the um, genetic screen came up and that put a pause on things because we then had to test my husband and See if that would impact our fertility story. Um and so over those kind of few months um we realised that I wasn't an ideal carrier for um them, that I that they I I felt that I would be more of a hindrance, that I would be more of a hindrance than a help in their situation. So that was a really difficult decision to make to um, pull the pin on that um and so we started looking into our own fertility with those results and seeking some professional guidance um with that and so my uh gp said without the um egg results the a and h results that we should try for six months and if uh we weren't pregnant in six months instead of the traditional 12 months like uh, most people have that she would refer us to um, a fertility specialist to pursue IBS. And so that was around um February of twenty eighteen we got that advice. Um and I guess so we um were getting married that year in August. So we were not really trying but also not doing anything to prevent um conception while we kind of waited to get married and started to started to really try in June of 2018, and then we were married in August. Um, So August came and we got married, and we went to Europe and really um, started to put in practice the idea of having that holiday baby with, you know, all of the relaxing and the cocktails and all the good stuff that comes with with holiday mode, and um, wanting to come back with a honeymoon baby, um so it gave that a red hot crack and uh nothing nothing really happened. Um so we made it to I think October of twenty eighteen and we were within um coming to the end of that six month um time frame. So we um went to our GP and she gave us the referral um to the IBS doctor. And we um, started that process. So everyone, I guess that has been through IVF knows what that initial process is. It's lots of, um, you know, blood tests and urine tests and um, pelvic ultrasounds and having a look at all your goods to make sure there's nothing popping up um, that could, you know, negatively impact your chances and. Um, you know the male gets screened as well to check what's going on with um with his swimmers um to make sure there's nothing on his side that would prevent a pregnancy um and so everything came back fine in november of that year Um, the doctor was really uh, he was a funny guy but he was you know he was very Positive he was said, you know with our our ages and nothing coming up on the Initial screens my AMH actually came back a little higher than it had um, He was pretty uh, Jovial and he was like look just give it a crack. You're probably able to get the ad uh, to get pregnant by yourself um, But if you want to do IBS you'll be pregnant before Christmas Sorry And that was uh in november of 2018 we kind of went away and had a coffee and had a chat and um i guess from the confidence that he had we thought that we should try naturally for a bit longer um so we thought we'll try naturally for another three months um and give it a crack and then if we weren't pregnant by february of 2019 that we would come back and um we'd do an i b s cycle, so we kept trying um with the results, I started temperature tracking and you know really getting pretty neurotic, uh which is my personality. Um, I hated temperature tracking uh I find it really stressful um, But we just kept kept going and come um of 2019 we still had had a pregnancy um so we started IBS with our first cycle i was gonna ask if he went back to that original doctor then yeah yeah So went back to that original doctor um he was you know he was still really confident he's like oh don't worry about it um you know let's just jump in he was really confident that the first cycle was would work um so that was feb of 2019 he was really confident um i think that i was pretty naive at, at that point i was really confident and excited as well the only i guess experience i had had of ibf was one of my you know best friends had been through the process um several years earlier and she had only had to do the one cycle she had one cycle she got, you know, a whole bunch of embryos. Heats on ice. Um, first, you know, transfer had worked. Um, and so I was like, you know, it's shit that we haven't been able to conceive on our own, but let's just do it, and you know, we'll have a pregnancy. We'll have a baby in a few months. I was just full of hope, so naive, full of confidence um a bit scared like about the process, but my overall confidence in everything was, you know, outweighing um any nervousness that came with it. So we um started cycle one. I can remember that first injection because my husband's a nurse. Like I remember him being home um and me wanting to do that first injection because um you know, nurse's issues shift lessons. I I knew that he wouldn't always be there, so I thought if I could do that injection myself would, would be best for when he wasn't there. I just remember being really scared of like the needle and it, um I remember him poking me with the needle and I flinched and pulled away. So I I pulled off of the needle, flinching backwards. Um so it took a few goes but um but it was all right. So we did that first cycle for, uh, um, I skimmed for 15 days, I think, um, using Gonalus and sexercise, um, and we had our Ovidril as the trigger, and we had, um, nine eggs collected, um, eight of them fertilised. Um, and we started that five-day period where um, the eggs are fertilizing or they're growing they're growing into blast so we didn't get um, daily updates because we were with a bulk billing um, IVF clinic and one of the biggest differences when you go bulk billing to when you go private is they don't have um, the monitoring is it an endoscope or an embryo scope? I'm not sure. But the camera that watches the daily growth of the embryo between day one and when it reaches blasted, they don't, um, I guess, do that. So you pop them in the oven and they leave them to bake and they, you only get the update at, on day five, um, which is the day of transfer. So the day of transfer, they tell you to go into the clinic um. And we went in to, um, you know, to have our transfer, not knowing how many had made it. And um, we got into the um, doctor's surgery and onto the chair and uh, the doctor came in and he said that we had one to uh, transfer that day. Um, And again, I wasn't expecting anything different, so I was just... I was just kind of like, of course, like, of course you do. Like, there was no question in, in my mind that there wouldn't be anything to transfer. So I was like, okay, great. Um, and he said, but only the one. So there had only, only one of the eight had made it to blastocyst stage. So we had none to freeze. All of the others had stopped growing. Um, and it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks that day i like i remember um thinking to myself like just keep it together because everyone everyone was in the room like my husband was there is the ids like the doctor performing the transfer was there and everyone just was there i was like okay just focus you know focus on the transfer like I, I didn't want to have any kind of negative feelings in my body when my embryo was being transferred but also I, I was so I was so shocked that there was only one. Um and you know, looking back now I'm not, but I remember a little first cycle bet which she was just a beginner. I was I was so shocked. And so they transferred um transferred that blast using the catheter. Um and I found it pretty painful. Not everyone does, but I um, I felt it I found that quite uncomfortable and um we left uh, and we got the car and i remember just like losing it and i was so upset um and my husband you know he was driving back and he was not up as upset because i think in his mind in his mind he knew that we um you know that we had one which was amazing and it was amazing but I think I had just been so immersed in the I guess infertility community leading up to our IVF cycle um, and that transfer that I had formed enough I guess in that role of watching people you know on YouTube and connect people with YouTube and Instagram and people that had gone through the process and had been going through the process for years and, you know, had been having the worst time. Um I just had an awful feeling. Like I just had an awful feeling in in my waters um that this was just not a good sign. I just I felt this enormous like sense of preparation that this result was indicative of A really really rough road ahead of us and I think I also just felt such um, I guess looming doom like what if this didn't work what if this embryo didn't didn't take we had nothing had nothing in the bank we'd have to do you know we'd have to start from from complete scratch we'd have to do IVF all over again and um, yeah, I was just so worried. That's like I think the biggest I remember from that day. Being so happy and so hopeful, um, being coupled, pregnant until proven otherwise, but just so so worried that this was going to be a really rough, you know, really rough time for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started the you know started the two week wait um from that day and i was um testing from day one because um you know it's me but i wanted to know when the trigger um, injection had left my system because it shows a positive on the home pregnancy test so i tested because i wanted to be able to see the positive test come up immediately and have that trigger medication fade out and so that way I would know when a positive test came up, it was from being pregnant and not from the um, medication, from the injection. So I tested it out, um, testing every day, and, and it tested out of my system and um, went black, blank. Um, and then I started to get um, a second line on the um, on the home pregnancy test and it uh, came up and I was like, oh, um, and my, <laughs> my husband's like, no, it's not, you, know, you, you should wait, you should wait for couple And he, I think, was a bit worried to um, get his hopes up. And I was like, no, 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 no you don't understand. If, it's positive, if there's another line positive, like, they're really good, they're really good these days. And I was just, I was really hopeful. And so it continued to get positive. Sorry, the positive line continued to get darker um, over the next few days. And he started to relent. Um, you know, uh concerned that I was getting ahead of myself and we were both really excited, um, that it had worked. And uh we told our families then we hadn't told our families that we were doing IBS because I really wanted to have that um moment when you get to announce to your family that you're pregnant. Like I I just really wanted to have that. That was the only reason that we hadn't told anyone. So um, we told our families and we um told like a few um close friends that we were seeing kind of that week and um had a few, you know, really good days of asking in um
2: in that joy.
1: And then we uh then the the line started to get lighter. And I was you know, I was I'm really surprised that I'm um, even getting upset by it. Talking about it now, like I feel like it's such
0: like, a long time ago. That's okay. Um, just take your time. There's no need to apologise at all. Um, it's not surprising that you're upset by it. I mean, it's you've got so many hopes pinned on. The result of this test and going through what you've gone through, particularly finding out everything that you did, that's distressing and I think, you know, we need to honour that. So definitely just take your time and there's no rush. No, I feel like I've spoken about it so many
1: times. Yeah. I've spoken about it to to death and I thought I'd be totally fine um, Mm -hmm. retelling it now. Yeah, so then it started to fade. Um and I I just knew, like I, I knew what that meant. I knew that, that meant that um that we were having a chemical pregnancy or a very early miscarriage. Um depending on the terminology that you want to use. I prefer an early miscarriage. Mm-hmm. I think that chemical pregnancy is somewhat dismissive. agreed yeah um, of that that experience mm-hmm. um but I think everyone, you know whatever whether works you. for me, I prefer um, that term so um kept getting lighter, and when i uh, came for my um, my my blood um to do to do the blood i this was i remember' I was upset um when the lady took my blood because I knew um that we were losing that baby. Mm-hmm. I remember that day, like I remember I was going to work, I remember being out where um and I was with a patient. It was, just, it was awful timing. I was out in the field with patient. Um I was covering for one of my colleagues. Um I don't know, she'd had to go or something and so with the patient and the the patient was doing something away from me when the um when i got the call and so they they called and confirmed that um that i was losing that um pregnancy (laughs) i i was the patient so i just had to very very straight-faced thank them for the thank them for the call and put the phone away and then just keep myself composed until um I could get back to the hospital and return the patient to the ward and get out of the ward and get back to the, you know, safety of my office and close the door. Um and then I have the response that you know, that I would have had in that appointment which was um I think the response that, you know, that anyone has where you, you just go up at, so upset and so disappointed. Um, so we um you know, I, I left work and um called my husband and um we had that time together and then let our families and um and friends know and I was just I was really um I was just really happy that we had told people that we uh, you know, we're going through it and we're expecting because when um, when we experienced that loss, we had support around us um, to help get us through that. And I, I just think that that's so important. I just can't imagine uh, not having that. I think mean, it would be so hard when you don't um, have support to help you through it when you're going through such a significant loss. Um, but that uh, uh I guess was was the end of um five called cycle one. We went back and forth the doctor. Um and he I didn't really like the doctor. Um I felt that he was really dismissive <laughs> um of what what had happened. Um like I, I went in um with questions. Like I went in saying, you know, should we be doing further testing? Should we be looking at egg donation or embryo donation? Should we be thinking about PGS testing for any other embryos we get? You know, just I just I felt even then that there was something massively wrong. Mm-hmm. And he was um, yeah, he was just he was very dismissive. Um He was like, You don't need an egg donor. You don't need an egg donor. You could be someone's egg donor. Like, these aren't, these results aren't terrible results. And I remember him saying, um, He's like, Why would you pay for PGS testing when your body will just do that for free? What? Meaning, why would you spend the money to test your embryos to see if they have any chromosomal abnormalities? When your body will miscarry any embryos that have chromosome abnormalities for free and i was so angry i was just so angry at the insensitivity of a comment like that mm-hmm. from a fertility specialist mm-hmm. i was like have you grown up under a bridge that you think that that any woman or man like any prospective parent would think that that's an appropriate comment to make.
0: So, and did um, did he know about your Tay Sachs gene as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, he and, knew about um, the Tay Sachs gene. So uh, my husband uh, hadn't tested positive for Tay Sachs.
0: So it's just, so, but he like, he hadn't yeah. recommended to get PGS testing from the start because of that.
1: No. So we um, when we had done the. Um, Like when I was looking into the egg donation and it had came back as me being a carrier for Tay-Sachs, we had then had to pause everything and my partner had to get tested for Mm -hmm. any genetic abnormalities, specifically Mm -hmm. Tay-Sachs, because if my partner, my husband, was a carrier of Tay-Sachs, then we would have to do IBS and we would have to do PGS testing to select the embryos that didn't have
2: Tay-Sachs,
0: so yeah. my
2: husband had come back as a negative.
0: Okay, so they but, weren't uh, too concerned about the chance, like a potential baby yeah. developing that because it's no. not on his side. Okay, all right then. Yeah,
1: yeah. so I, I can only pass being a carrier on to any children we have, but they can't okay. have tay that they can carry tay
0: And do you know There's this...
1: is something to be mindful for my future children. children. And it's something to be mindful of them to yeah. have their partners tested and themselves sure. tested, that yeah. our children won't get pay because my husband doesn't carry the gene.
0: Yeah. Do you know the statistics around that at all? Like just, you know, like what are the chances of, um, like is it, you know, one in a thousand or like who ca- so if, has a carry gene? Yeah.
1: Uh, I have Googled it. I'm worried about being robbed. It's been a long if I had it and my husband had it. It's either a twenty-five percent or a fifty percent chance of your child having
0: it. Okay. yep. Um.
1: And but I'm not sure what the percentage is of me passing it on
0: mm-hmm.
1: as a carrier gene. I'm not sure what the, the percentage is that is of me passing it on to my child to be a carrier.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Thank you for that. I've not I've not heard of Tay Sachs before, so I I didn't really yeah know what the go was if if yeah you needed pgs testing initially like yeah all of that sort of jazz so yeah so it
1: wasn't it wasn't um something that was on our radar because my husband had tested negative which Perfect. was yeah. a big relief yeah that must
0: be good yeah but yeah but it's
1: awful if you if you have a google like you'll see that essentially the children they you know they die by age five Yeah. Painfully and awfully. And I was very surprised to be positive, very prominent in, I think, the Jewish community. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, I, I it hadn't come up in my family history,
2: but I, I was quite surprised to get it. So we had just completed um, IBF cycle one um, and we had miscarried. Um, and I think I spoke about... Um, yeah, so I spoke about the transfer working and then um, experiencing that early miscarriage. So the um, the doctor was really good about getting us um, back in, you know, like quickly after that, which I appreciated. Um, and we had a debrief. Um, I think that even at that stage, I don't know if it was that I had, it Probably, probably was, I think that I'm, Like I'm pretty type A in nature. so I had done a lot of research and, um, you know, was tracking a lot of stories um, on the socials because I think that that's a really good wealth of information so long as you have critical thought when you're looking at those stories. Like you can obviously take people's experiences, but then you have to um, have... The professional medical advice for your own specific situation always but I think that following a lot of those women um and knowing their stories and having our outcome of only having that one embryo and then miscarrying that embryo I just had like a sinking feeling at that stage already that it was just going to be a really awful road for us um already so I think I went into that debrief with that appointment really armed for a lot of questions like already after that first cycle I was like you know should we be looking at egg donation should we be looking at embryo donation should I you know should we be doing more um, work on having a look at diagnostic criteria should I have a you know a laparoscopy procedure should I be doing a hist- histoscopy procedure um, what if I have Asherman syndrome um, you know just went in like guns blazing kind of to be like this is I don't think that this is normal I have a really bad feeling about this like what should we be doing and I just felt very dismissed like I felt very unheard by the fertility specialist that we were seeing um he kind of scoffed at me and I get that he would see a lot of patients and that um like he i guess his thought was that it was a win because we'd gotten an embryo to transfer and that um the stats weren't that bad i guess at that stage but he you know was really dismissive of my concerns he was like you don't need an egg donor you could be an egg donor to someone um he like dismissed me talking about pgs testing um because i was worried about the chromosomal or potential chromosomal abnormalities with our embryos that had caused them to stop growing and um, and had then obviously caused the embryo that we transferred to miscarry. So, you know, I was chatting to him about um, should we pursue PGS testing if we were to do another round, which is testing that um, tests the embryos for chromosomal abnormalities um to identify the ones that would result in a normal healthy pregnancy and the ones that wouldn't grow so that you have a better idea um, around your chances. So for example, if we had 10 embryos and we got them tested and found that we only had three PGS normal embryos that would result in a healthy pregnancy, then we know that we don't have 10 on ice that are frozen. We only have the three. Um, and then, obviously, you only transfer those three, so you're not transferring embryo after embryo that results in miscarriage is is the point of p g s testing for i guess you know those that don't know um and he again like was quite scoffy and he was like, why would you why would you bother like why would you pay for p g s testing when your body will do it for free um which means that why would you pay to get them tested?" when your body will miscarry them naturally anyway and I just felt that that was a very insensitive comment to make to someone experiencing a miscarriage literally in the room while I was talking to him um but also like a woman's doctor like surely he's you know seen the ramifications for women that experience miscarriage it's such an awful thing to go through so I kind of saw red you know when he said that um I also talked about getting like extended, you know, semen analysis done. And, um, yeah, he, he just said that um, that the issue was simply linked to like my body not responding appropriately to the stim med, which was going to left for that first um, cycle and that if he changed the stim med to a different um, medication that my body would respond differently and we would have um, you know, a better outcome. He was really confident that that was his working hypothesis, I guess. And so I um, or we um, decided to, you know, move forward with that advice. And we booked in IVF um, cycle two for the next month. Um, so that month he changed the stem med to Paragon, I think. Um, and that was a uh. Oh, no, yeah. At, at that stage. So he um and we also had a different trigger med for that cycle. So I stimmed for 15 days of injections. Um, and then they were worried about hyperstimulation. So he changed the trigger for cycle two to decapeptol Um, so that's a freeze all trigger. Um, because when they're worried about hyperstimulation, they want to shut your ovaries down effectively. So it prevents you being able to do a fresh transfer. Um, which I wasn't, you know, fussed over. Um, So we got uh, 12 eggs collected from that cycle and 10 of them fertilised. And so they popped the, you know, 10 embryos in the freezer, uh, sorry, the 10 embryos in the oven to cook for the five days. And then um, we were to get our results at day five to say how many had made it to day five blastocysts, which would then be frozen. So because I wasn't um, having a fresh transfer, I was just at work on um, day five um, to get the call, to get the update to let me know how many had made it. Um, and I remember being, I remember being on the ward, um, and like my phone going off and seeing the clinic number flash up. And I, you know, quickly went to, uh, you know, a private space on, on the ward away from like my patients and, um, staff and, and they called and, um, the embryologist was on the phone and she was so lovely, much better than the fertility specialist. I always found her to be really warm. Um, and she, you know, was like, I'm so sorry, Beth, um, you know, I don't have good news. Uh, all of the um, ten embryos, um, you know, died. They stopped growing, um, and I think you just like you just kind of get the wind knocked out of you. I think with that call because you have so much um, hope and just everything. Ev- everything is locked into to just wanting. I think at that point I I was still hoping that we'd have a better outcome than cycle one. So I was really hoping out of the 10 that we would get three. I I thought it was a realistic number.
0: Um, Yeah, for sure, because usually your attrition rate's about 50%. Like if you err on that side, yeah, that makes sense.
2: Yeah, so I really felt like in that regard, I know I said that I went in naive and, and I did go in naive, but in that regard I don't think I was ever naive. I was always like, all right, if we have this many eggs, you know, this many are going to drop off for fertilisation, this many are going to drop off kind of over the five days. So for 10 embryos, I really, I was hoping for three and I felt that that was a realistic number. So to get zero um, was, you know, devastating, just so devastating and and reinforcing. um, I was like just, oh, fuck, like, what's going on, like what is wrong with my body, what is happening that this shouldn't be happening to get zero, like something serious is happening. And so um, I think that like my nature is just to be very um, research gathering on those calls, like I don't, I think it takes me a minute to process it. So on the call I was just, I was asking her opinion and and she suggested on that call that we do some extended testing related to any potential male factor because she explained that the um the egg carries the fertilization and the first couple of days of growth for the embryo and because we had had such great fertilization rates and really good growth to day two the egg she thought was fine but she said because the embryos had stopped growing at day two and hadn't made it, between day two and day three, so they hadn't made it to day five, that's when the sperm takes over the development and carries it to the last stage. So she was like, look, I think that you should maybe have a bit of a closer look at any potential male factor Um, because that was, in her experience, what was... um, you know, I guess what was happening. So we went back to see our specialist um, to have, you know, the debrief and he was somewhat less dismissive at that appointment. Um, He identified that it wasn't a normal outcome to have all of them stop growing like that. Um, But he remained confident that the issue was my body not responding to the stim. Medication, so that's the medication that is the injection that you do. So he wanted to change it from the synth- the synthetic synthetic medications from cycle one and two, and change to an older non synthetic um, stem medication that he said might be a bit harder on my body, but would have a better result. Um, and that yeah, and that was the older meds that they had used before the synthetic medications, you know, came around. So. Um, He was just really confident, again, dismissed anything else that I raised and just said, no, this is the issue, this is the um, change that we can make and you're going to have an embryo, like, at the end of this. So I think when someone dangles a carrot like that, like, he was just so confident that that was the issue we or
0: I and that's a that's a big promise too. saying that
2: promise exactly and I think my husband was more inclined to be like let's take a minute because he was seeing my reaction and my reaction had been devastation like as much as I say I was kind of all business on the phone and I was to get the results and then it kind of took me a little bit to process but when you process it and I think any woman that has gone through um a miscarriage or a loss like that um and I have gone through both like I have had a spontaneous pregnancy a couple of years earlier and I had miscarried that and I have obviously miscarried the first cycle to me the reaction of having the all to to lose all of the embryos was really similar like you're working through the grief and loss process no matter what that trauma is Um, It's such a significant traumatic event to work through um it really it did take it out of me so I think my husband was kind of more you know do you want to should we take a breath like should we take a minute and you know kind of work through this process a bit but because the doctor was still so confident I was like no way I don't want to work through shit like I don't want to work through that sounds like such a bad time. I just, let's crack on. I'll do another cycle. I got this. I can keep going.
0: Just give me a baby. Give me
2: a baby. Exactly. Give me a baby. Yeah. Let me see that positive pregnancy. And I don't even have to feel these feelings. Like, why feel these feelings if you don't have to? Because they were so, like, it was. Bad. let's just skip through it and get that baby and I'm good. So he was kind of, oh, I don't know about that, but, you know, um, he left it, I guess, to me to make that decision because it was my body going through it. So we signed up for IVF cycle three in kind of June, July. So the next um, the next month after, um, so I think oh, I might've had to wait one cycle for my body to um, uh, regroup after the frozen cycle. So I might've had one period and then jumped in. So IVF cycle three, we changed to Menopure Um, and we stimmed for 13 days, so did the injections for 13 days with um, the trigger shot being pregnal, Um, and I went in for uh, egg collection on, um, yeah, so day 15. So we had eight eggs collected, um, which I, yeah, wasn't super great numbers, but I think at that point I was, starting to get more focused on quality over quantity for the first cycle i was focused on quantity because i was like IVF is shit i only want to do this one time let's try and get as many like embryos as i can so i never have to do this again my ibf cycle three i was like aiming for one <laughs> one, one. <laughs> so i was less focused on getting eight eggs so i got eight eggs um six of them fertilized um my doctor had also said at that point that he never wanted to do a freeze cycle ever again, um, and I was in a complete agreement. I was like, I can I can go through hyperstimulation. I don't care. It's fine. Like, whatever you need to do, whatever I need to do to get a baby, it's totally fine. We'll never do a freeze cycle. If I get hyperstimulation, whatever, I'll deal with it. Just get me a baby. So, um, but I didn't have numbers that would indicate hyperstim for that cycle anyway with only eight eggs. so. Eight eggs, six fertilized. Pop them in the freezer. Cooked them for the five days again to get them to blastocyst. Um, yeah, so that I I can remember that that transfer day I think was on a Monday, um, and I remember chatting to my husband over the weekend and just being re- really worried about that call. Like I I could just kind of feel the like like the tension that comes we've been really worried about the outcome um and I was saying to him like oh man how like how shit would that day be if you drove like you know if you drove all the way into the clinic and you're in the waiting room with all the other women waiting to go in and you like go into the room to do the transfer and they tell you like then that you have nothing to transfer and then you have to like walk back out through the room with all the women waiting to like get their babies and you know walk out of the hospital and get to the car I was like fuck that sounds like the worst time ever um so I was like I'm gonna call them because I think our um transfer might have been scheduled for like 10 or 11 so I'm like I'm gonna call them when they open at 8 and I'm just gonna ask them if they you know if, if they're going to call us and let us know before we get all the way in and so I remember waking up like really early because I was anxious and um watching my phone. And like, as soon as it clicked over to eight o'clock, I was dialing the number to speak to the clinic and um one of the nurses answered and, and I just explained, you know, the situation and our history. And I just said that I was really worried that, you know, if nothing, if there were no embryos this time that, you know are we able to find out before we go in? And she was lovely. She's like, oh, let me check your file. Like, I'll, I'll find out right now for you because we'll, we'll know. Like, we'll have notes. And so she checked my file and got back on the phone and she was like, no, it's fine. Like, it's, you know, there's no notes that there were any issues from the lab, so you're all set to come in, Um, you know, for your transfer. Congratulations. Uh, we'll see you at, you know, we'll see you at 11 and I was like oh my god and I remember my husband was sleeping downstairs because he was on night shift so I was you know in our room by myself and I hadn't done any of the prep that kind of goes with a transfer like I hadn't bought any pregnancy tests and I hadn't you know like prepped my body like you would for a transfer because I just didn't want to do that and then have it not work so I jumped out of bed and I was so excited and I you know had a shower and Prepped my body and ready to go, you know, like you kind of do if someone's going to be looking at your areas. Um, I like jumped in the car and went like, to um, go to like chemist warehouse to get like a big box of pregnancy tests. And it was maybe an hour later at that point, and I was driving to um, the pharmacy to get the pregnancy test, and the um, fertility clinic came up on my phone as I was driving, and I was just like, fuck. My heart just sank and my husband was still sleeping at this point so I hadn't told him anything yet um, and my heart just sank because anyone, you know, that's been through the process knows that they're just, they're not calling for a good reason when you've already had that call and so I, I um, like, I answered the call and I remember starting the call just being like, hey, um, just so you know, I've already called the clinic this morning and they've already told me that there's nothing wrong. So you can't take that back now because I've, like, they've already told me that it's fine. I've already checked, like, and the lady, um, like, bless, um, was just kind of silent on the other end for a second and my heart sank lower and she was like, oh, Beth, I'm so sorry. Um, she's like, you know, my name's Weber. I'm one of the embryologists calling and I had spoken to a nurse so there are different departments she's like I hadn't made any notes on your file you know yesterday when I looked at your embryos because I um had wanted to call you myself and and speak to you about it um and I you know she's like I didn't realize that you were going to call this morning I'm, I'm so sorry that you called and got that information because um I'm really sorry to tell you that all of your embryos have died again um we don't have any to transfer for you or, or freeze um all of our six embryos um had died they'd stopped growing the same um exactly the same uh time as the previous ibf cycle yeah so i came home um and um spoke to my husband so i had to tell him that they hadn't made it again Um, And I think that, um, yeah, he I think was immediately kind of um, more reactive to that um, outcome, I guess, than I was. I think I was a bit numb to it and it took me a while to process. Um, So we had our debrief. The doctor, like as much as I didn't really like him very much um, because of his bedside manner he was always really good with getting us in to like have the debrief after each cycle which I appreciated so we went back kind of the next day to see him um and that was the first appointment that he admitted that you know that that there was a serious issue going on he wasn't as kind of blase and dismissive of the outcomes anymore he you know confirmed that this wasn't normal that we were an an atypical case um he said that the manner in which my body was responding or the outcome that we were having you know he saw in less than 10 percent of the patients that he managed and he just didn't know why He, he couldn't definitively tell us you know what the issue was and because he couldn't tell us you know if you can't say what the issue is then you can't accurately treat it um which is the ever frustrating part of having unexplained infertility like we're still we were still in the unexplained infertility box and it was so frustrating to be in that space particularly with my personality type which I'm very type a very neurotic um I want to do my own research and get my own answers and when you don't know what the issue is you don't even know where to start looking um and so he, you know, he didn't, he couldn't say what the issue was, but he wanted to continue with working through his hypothesis, his hypothesis, which was that he wanted to continue to try a different stim medication each time. And so he said that there were six stim medications. I had tried three of the six. And so there were another three potential cycles that he wanted us to embark on. Um, And, um, but the, I was really firm at that appointment that I trusted what the embryologist had told me. I felt that she was in a position to be obviously a very informed person around embryo development and the causes for um, embryos to stop. Growing and it was what she did every day and so I you know told my doctor what she had told us which was that um in her experience it was a sperm issue that stopped embryos developing um at stage two or stage three of development uh, sorry day two or day three of development and so I wanted to get the um extended semen analysis which included um the DNA fragmentation testing because that's not included in the initial semen analysis that they do at the start of, you know, fertility stuff. You kind of just do the first one which is around testing, you know, the mo- mobility and morphology and, and the count and things. The DNA fragmentation test is is a different test and it looks at how this if the sperm have um, DNA fragmentation occurring which can result in issues with the embryos so the doctor didn't want to do that I said it's not negotiable like I don't care what it costs I don't if it's an issue with it being a bulk build thing and we're at a bulk build clinic and give me a test where I pay full price like the it, I don't care what the issue is I just I need you to find a way to write that test for me as my fertility specialist So he um, gave us the order for that extended testing. I also asked for testing for um, any chromosomal abnormalities that we might be carrying that could contribute to our embryos being faulty. So he did that, although, again, he was like, this is, you know, you're going to pay money and nothing's going to come back. But I said, that's all right, I'm willing to to pay the money for my own peace of mind that we can at least be ruling things out in our kind of, you know, quest for baby. Let's just be ruling it out. So he did that. Um, He was still really dismissive of my um, question around my own body, like at each step after each cycle, cycle one, cycle two, and now cycle three, I had said, do you think we should be looking at my body in more depth? Like I haven't had a a laparoscopy. I haven't had a histoscopy. You know, my junk hasn't really been looked at enough. Do you think that there could be something else going on? Is it worth pausing the IVF cycles to at least do like a lap and a histo? Should we check for Asherman's? And he, you know, he was just very, no, we shouldn't do that. It's not going to change how I treat you. We're already doing IVF. Nothing's going to change. Like he was saying that even if the sperm was fragmenting, that it's he still wouldn't do anything different because he could just do ICSI with them. And I was like, I want to know what's going on. Um, so we left that last appointment, um, of IVF cycle three with the orders for the sperm testing and the chromosomal testing, him still saying, I didn't need any investigation stuff on my body and no clear answer moving forward, because that was the appointment where he was like, I really don't know what's going on. I still want to try doing the cycles with the different stim meds, um, and see what's up. So I think because, and that was in July, So I think because that was the first time he didn't have a very confident, clear answer of what was the reason that it had failed and what to change moving forward that I put a pin in my kind of tunnel vision to to keep just jumping into the cycles and me and my husband agreed that we needed to take a breather. Um, So in that kind of breather, which was around a month, like, August kind of came and I think I started to process everything and and my husband was processing um and I think I realized I think everything just caught up with me at that stage there was a lot of grief and loss that I hadn't worked through there was a lot of anxiety um my work was crazy busy like just everything kind of felt very unsustainable and everything I think was, you know, in my professional life and my personal life was just building with all of these unworked through issues. And I was just, you know, I had nothing left in my cup. My cup had been drained. You need to have a full cup to be able to, you know, look after yourself and other people. My cup was like negative 50. And so I just lost it. I remember I was at work and something fairly insignificant came up and um, my poor colleague was there with me and she was like, hey, okay, and I just started crying and I didn't stop crying for a while. Like full breakdown, I um, had to take some leave from work. You know, I spoke to work. Work was really good. They were really supportive. Um, My Boss um was aware of me doing IVF. I was very open with work and um, you know, with with everyone in my personal life, I was always very open about IVF. So each time I needed to take time off work to go and do a retrieval and recover from the retrieval and do transfers, I was I told them that I was doing IVF at each time. Um, and so they knew what was going on. So my boss was like, you know, you've been through a lot, you need to take a breath um and I'm very fortunate I know that not everyone's workplace is that supportive um so I went home um I you know kind of very neurotically evaluated what I needed to do to get back on my feet and went back the next day to work with a plan and I said I need to have three weeks off work um I'm going to go get a mental health care plan I'm going to find a psychologist I need to go to my GP um, you know I'm gonna go do some acupuncture I just I need to get myself together before I can come work back to work so that I can function so um, that was what I did I took three weeks off work I saw my GP I got a mental health care plan Um, I reached out to one of my psychology friends from work to ask for a recommendation for a good psychologist that I could go and see to help me kind of try to start to work through everything. So I got a referral for my psychologist who's, you know, she's banging. I really like her. I still see her. I started to see her kind of, um, you know, I tried to, I started twice a week to just try and jumpstart, you know, my mental health. I, I, concentrated on some self-care time I went to the coast for a few days and just did nothing and um just really focused on recharging myself and getting myself better because what I had unintentionally done in just jumping into those you know cycles month after month and, and not working through the um emotional trauma that had come up with each um you know, kind of devastating loss along the way was that it it hadn't been worked through; it had just been buried. And so, when you when you can't work through that type of grief and and trauma, and it just it gets buried inside you, and and each you know each boulder of grief and trauma, they just get stacked one on top of the other. You only have so much room in your body before that boulder, you know, has no more room to grow. And so I was just at max capacity. My boulder had no other room inside my body but to come out, you know, my eyeballs in what I refer to as breakdown death. Um So that was what I kind of did, you know, the next couple of months. Um, I went back to work after the three weeks I had off but I um agreed and my husband agreed that I didn't want to go back full-time that I wanted to go back at point eight, so four days a week instead of five um and I went back and on a reduced caseload at work um because I had you know a support for boss um, that was agreeable that, you know, work had also been a factor in in me having that kind of meltdown, that it wasn't sustainable. So I just looked to make everything in my life a more sustainable venture whilst I was, you know, trying to get it together. So that was what we, what I focused on for um, the next couple of months. Um, I also turned 30 and, um, We were in complete agreement that we, my husband and I, were both burnt out, so we weren't doing any more IVF stuff that year. Um, We, I did book in a second opinion with a different fertility specialist for February. Um, The and we did the testing, so um, the semen analysis, the DNA fragmentation came back negative. There were no issues. Um, with that, the chromosomal testing came back normal. Um, nothing came up from the extended testing that I had, you know, requested. There weren't any issues. Uh, so that brought us to January, um, when uh, I had a, I had a person close to me fall pregnant, and. It triggered, it triggered me in hindsight, I can see, but it, it massively triggered me. And I was like, let's do another IVF cycle. It'll totally work. Um, we'll have a baby and I don't have to deal with the feelings that I have around really close people in my life getting pregnant. So in hindsight, I can see that I immediately switched to my coping strategy to do IVF instead of feel my feelings. Um, But at the the time, I didn't realise I was doing that. Um, However, I do now. So we did a fourth IVF cycle, fairly spontaneous in nature. In January, um, we met with the same doctor of the first three. Um, He reviewed everything. He reviewed everything inclusive of the extended testing. He started to be more confident that it was an issue with my eggs rather than anything else because we had really eliminated any type of male factor at that point um which was a bit of a kick in the guts because I'm like I'm 30 years old like I'm not how are my 30 year old eggs so dusty at this point and I've been fine since I was 27 like mm-hmm. I'm not you know I'm not a 75 year old woman that's going through menopause and no shade on the 75-year-old women but I am just I am still youthful like I still go out I still go out and I I go do one thing and I you know can sometimes wear a shirt with no bra if it's really tight and I'm not (laughs) completely ancient like I just felt really indignified on behalf of my eggs that people thought that they were old um he still, like, I, I still went in, bus, you know, heaps of questions, still asking about lap and histos and stuff. He still said no. He said, let's try a fourth IVF stim. So I said, okay. Um, so we did the fourth cycle. We used a different stim med. It was Pegovirus. Um, I stimmed for 10 days. There were 13 eggs collected. Only seven fertilized, which was by far our worst fertilization ever. Um, we, I asked before, I asked when they were fertilized. I called the doctor after that collection day and I said, do you think that we should transfer day three embryos instead of day five? Um, Because I had been watching all of the YouTube and the Insta. um and a lot of the ladies that I had followed, um, particularly like Ayla, from Ayla and Caleb, she seemed to be having exactly the same issues I was having and they had started to transfer day threes. And so I said, what do you think about day threes? And he said, yeah, we'll transfer day threes this time because they'll have a better chance of growing inside of me than growing inside the incubator. So I went in on day three and, um, And they transferred two day three embryos to to my body and continued to cook the others to day five. And so at day five, they called and let me know that none of them had made it, um, that they had all stopped growing at um, the same stage. So day two to three, they had stopped growing at day three. And so all of our money at that point was on the two that were in my body so we were two days in at that call into the two day um the two week wait, sorry. So I kept them in my body um for the two weeks and did all of the things that IVF gals do when they're two week waiting, or the pineapple core and the McDonald's fries and the donut juice and they're, you know, keeping the feet warm and keeping my dogs, you know, not from jumping on my belly and just really gave it a red hot crack but it was pretty i think at that point like it it was only um it wasn't even a year but i felt like an old lady in ivf land at that point like the the way i felt with that transfer during that two-week wait compared to the first cycle where i was so hopeful and joyful and confident that it would work i just was a completely different person, that two-week wait. I just felt very realistic. Like I I was hopeful, but I was pretty sure that it wasn't going to work um, because none of them had made it to day five. If some of the last, like if some of our embryos had made it to day five, even one, even one had made it to day five, I think I would have been – you know, more optimistic or more hopeful that they would work, but because all of them had stopped growing in exactly the same way of all of our other cycles, I was really sure that the the two in me wouldn't take. So um, I did. I did the same thing that I did the first cycle. I tested every day because I wanted to test out the trigger medication um and we just never we never had a line that time so it was different to the first cycle in that that cycle did result in a pregnancy that I miscarried very early this cycle um the fourth cycle with the two embryos did not result in a pregnancy because they did not take so they just they probably stopped growing the day that they were transferred if they you know were anything like the their brothers and sister embryos you know in the incubator. so um, that cycle didn't work. I felt more prepared for that loss because I was already linked in I think with the support that I needed to get through it I was all I had already been seeing. My psychologist you know for several months and I saw her during the process and so I was um you know I had opportunity to speak with her whilst I was stimming and after they were collected and during the two-week wait and so we really worked through the grief and loss stuff um you know and and the joy and the anxiety and 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 the loss we got to talk through it as it was happening and then i got to i made an you know i made an appointment to see her the day after we got the confirmation that that it hadn't worked as well so i think between having that professional support and also having my professional life in terms of my employment um, of a more sustainable nature, like working you know point eight instead of full time and and having the work that I was doing more sustainable than overloading me you know to to such an extent i you know i didn't I didn't have such you know a negative effect on my life as I had the cycle before um which had resulted in breakdown death breakdown death didn't come back like I was obviously sad but i was able to you know keep it moving i was able to have that loss feel that loss work through it but not have everything in my life come to a crushing halt because i hadn't um you know dealt with everything kind of as it came so that was um IVF cycle four um which was you yeah, know january of this year In February, um, I had the second opinion appointment with um, the doctor that I had already booked in. So I I had already booked in that date, you know, six months beforehand, not knowing that it would coincide with a fourth attempted IVF. Um, So I went to see that doctor um, who is not a bulk billing doctor and that's no shade on bulk billing doctors but um, he's a private you know OB, gyno, infertility specialist so his I guess um, specialty or, or interest is is in my body as a whole potentially in instead of just focusing on IVF so I took all of my records to see him um, and he had a look at everything Um, and he was somewhat on the fence as well, you know, as well as my first fertility specialist where he's like clearly there's something wrong. Clearly you're not responding typically um, but you don't have a lot of symptoms outside of your infertility for anything else. Um, Like in terms of endo, I don't have endometriosis symptoms outside of my infertility. Like there's nothing obviously wrong that would lead him to suspect anything kind of with the information that he had before him.
0: So you don't have any like irregular periods or painful periods and no, things like no that? No,
2: painful periods, super yeah. irregular periods. I think I ovulate normally, although maybe I do or maybe I don't. I don't know. I can't tell when I ovulate. I think that I ovulate, but I've certainly taken ovulation tests before and things have not shown up. But my GP was like some women just don't show up on like the strip tests, but then sometimes okay. they have shown up on strip tests. I started using sense after I think my third cycle, which is a um, it's a basal body temp tracker that you insert into your body every night, and then you tap your phone to it, and it gets your temperature on an app. So I started using that instead of taking my temp with um, an oral thermometer because I found that really stressful to try and tap to try and track it. And according to sense. I ovulate every month. So there's no, you know, there's, there was, there's nothing that came out of my body. I look like a typical fertile myrtle on paper. Um, but he was like, because you've done four cycles of IVF and you haven't fallen pregnant and you've had some, such disaster results, you're kind of on the fence. He's like, I mean, I can. I can do a lap and a histone and see what's going on. If you hadn't done four cycles, I'd be hesitant to because you don't really fit the criteria for anything. But because you've done what you've done and you've got had the results that you've, um, you know, that you've gotten to this point, if you want to, we can do a lap and histo. And I was like, absolutely, I want to because I still felt very strongly that there was something going on with my body that I hadn't been able to figure out. And so he said to have a think about it. He sent me off with some bloods um, and I did the bloods and I booked in the lap and histo for April um, of this year, so April 8th. However, I guess in the meantime of that appointment in Feb and April 8th, uh, COVID-19 commenced. Um, and the end of March, they canceled all elective surgeries, which included my surgery. Um, however, I was really fortunate, incredibly fortunate that I, um, I had already paid for the surgery and I contacted my clinic the day that that announcement by, um, Queensland Health was made and I emailed them straight away and I said, you know, am I going to be affected? And, um. And they called me and said that all of the appointments past, I think, March or oh, April 1st, needed to be cancelled. However, they had a cancellation spot then in um, that call was Thursday, and they had a cancellation spot the following Monday on the 30th of March. And if I wanted it, I could have that last cancellation spot, or they'd offer it to someone else. And so I t- took that cancellation spot again. I was really lucky that my work was um, really supportive and agreeable to me um, moving everything around because it's a two-week recovery time. And so I had already planned to have that um, April 8th and two weeks after that. But with that call, I got, you know, a day's notice to get my caseload sorted so that I could have the two-week recovery from the Monday. So I um, went in on, on the Monday for the lap and histo and, um, and so um, I guess a, a lap for anyone that doesn't know is where they look inside your pelvis. They inflate your pelvis through keyhole surgery, so four incisions in your pelvis. Um, they blow it up with some gas so that they can they can have a look and they want to inspect the ovaries and the uterus and kind of the pelvic space to see if there's anything there that shouldn't be there inclusive of um, endometrial growth, but not limited to endometrial growth. And then the hist- hysteroscopy is where they run the um, dye through the fallopian tubes so that they can see if the dye passes, which indicates that there's no blockages or mm-hmm. if the dye doesn't pass through, then there's a blockage of the fallopian tube. And obviously, if there's a blockage of the fallopian tube, then the sperm can't in, can't get in there to make a baby. Mm-hmm. So that those were the procedures that I was going in for. Um, my husband couldn't come with me um, to the hospital because of COVID. So he dropped me outside um, and I went in and it was supposed to take um, 90 minutes max. Um, but I ended up being under for just under three hours um, and my husband was kind of panicking because you know, like he, he was like, it's been a really long time, like no one's called. Um, but, yeah, long, long story short is that I got dropped off at kind of 7.30 in the morning and he picked me up at 6 o'clock at night. Um, they found stage three endometriosis um, covering um, just all through my, all, all through my pelvis, um, all over my bowel. Um, it wasn't on my ovaries, but it was just all through, all through my pelvis. Um, and I also had—they also found one blocked fallopian tube, which he wasn't able to get unblocked. And he isn't entirely sure if why it's blocked. He's not sure if it's endo or another reason, but it, it remains blocked. So the all of the endometriosis he said that he would normally when there was that amount he would normally do that over two surgeries like he would do uh what he could in the first surgery and then he would get me back for a second surgery to do the rest but because of the um you know the government regulations around elective surgery has been banned we just have no idea when they'll be unbanned so he he wasn't in a position in the surgery to know that I would be able to get back in you know realistically short term so he just decided to stay and stand and scrape it all away and, and get rid of everything um in the one surgery which I was incredibly grateful that he did that um, and obviously didn't get me back and then I remember waking up in recovery and and I obviously didn't know anything yet um but I was in a lot of pain um I remember being in, in a lot of pain and I remember them shooting me with fentanyl into my um you know into my iV line and the pain that I was having was it was like and you guys would get this because you've had egg retrievals but it was like the egg retrieval pain when you wake up from an egg retrieval and you kind of still feel like there's something in your cervix like a metal kind of painful object in your you know vag slash cervix area that that was the pain that I felt waking up and the nurse was saying that that's not the pain that I should be feeling the pain if there's pain it should be you know in more in my abdomen and I was like it's not I don't have pain there it's in it's in it's like the egg retrieval so she kept shooting me up with fentanyl and it really wasn't working and I was in a lot of pain and she ended up calling the surgeon who had, you know, gone to a different hospital to do a different surgery. And he was saying, if it's not resolved in the next kind of 30 minutes and I'd have to stay overnight, but, um, they gave me some different painkillers from the fentanyl and, and that helped. And so I was able to move out into the next stage of recovery, but between, um, yeah, between that kind of pain issue and the long surgery it was just a very long day so by the time he called my husband my husband was pretty on edge going what's what's happened from this 90 minute surgery that my wife is still there at you know six hours later so
0: yeah so did you spend the night in hospital then or did they send you home that day they
2: ended up sending me home they had said if the pain couldn't get resolved like couldn't get to a five out of ten then I needed to be um, kept in and monitored. But when they changed from the fentanyl to giving me Endone instead, um, that resolved the pain enough to get me to at least a five eventually. So, so, uh, yeah, so I went home that night and um, the doctor had actually told my husband the outcome of the surgery. So when I got in the car, I asked my husband, I said, what did he say? Did he find anything? And my husband was like, yeah, he said he found endometriosis and he said that it was everywhere but, um, yeah, and, and obviously told me um, that he had stayed. And um, and I, I found out at my follow-up appointment kind of the next week that it had been stage three and, um, yeah, that the block tube is still there. I'm not quite sure what he's going to do with that tube if he intends to have a look at it down the track um, or if he's just going to, wait and see um what happens but his his plan I guess having removed all of the endo was that he's hopeful that um we may be able to naturally conceive Mm -hmm. he can't definitively say that my infertility was a result of the endo but um most likely it was Um, And so it's removal, uh, like the research shows that the removal of endometriosis at that stage will increase your fertility or the presence of it will decrease your fertility. So he's hopeful that we will conceive naturally in the next three months. If we haven't conceived naturally in the next three months, then he would recommend a cycle of IVF um, now being, you know, in in a different or an improved state of, um, of been so that's where we're up to
0: so i guess um during this quarantine you guys have been um ti- timing your intercourse right. i would like to say
2: <laughs> yeah we've used um we've used our isolation time to the to the best of best our of your- ability although Good. as health workers we're not super isolated but um everyone else is isolated so we'll give it a red hot crack I asked about Clomid um using Clomid next cycle and he was like that really can't hurt things at this point so next Mm -hmm. like next month we might do Clomid and try naturally and just see what happens
0: yeah what a story you've got hey
2: very long story
0: it is but it's really um Different to what we're used to hearing too, you know. So it's I think that's just, yeah, it's crazy. I'm just sort of trying to process it all for you, and I find that really interesting. Actually, that you work in a mental health field, yeah, where you you look after other people's mental health, and you sort of you know the right thing, you know, I say right things to be doing, you know, like you know how to how to care for yourself um, mentally, but you weren't practicing that during your first few rounds of IVF. and
2: exactly. It's so yeah. hard to see things when you're in it. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I think everyone knows that when you've been in the, in the thick of it, whether it's, you know, it's a bad relationship or it's a health issue or, or something else, when you're in it, you can't see it until you've had the opportunity to get out of it and be able to reflect on it. And that reflect... That um, opportunity gives you, um, you know, the, the gift of hindsight and the op- opportunity for reflection and, and you can see, you know, the mistakes that you've made and be able to change that, I guess, for future. Yeah. Holy doly, what a time. I think, I think um, yeah, I think all relationships, like IVF impacts kind of all of, all of the relationships. But certainly um, the, the relationship that you have with your partner, I think, is impacted the most. Um, I don't think I'll go into it super intensely because I am very public in my um journey and my husband is prefers to be more private but it's certainly fair to say that um the support that you need for each other is paramount and to communicate, being able to communicate with each other and how you're feeling and what you need from each other is obviously really, really important. And I, for my side, I guess of it, I felt very guilty a lot of the way that I felt as though I was uh, taking, being, being on the receiving end of that team effort of supporting one another. I felt as though I wasn't contributing enough to being more of a giver. I, I felt as though I was the receiver, you know too much um, but you know he didn't he didn't feel like that, but it was part of yeah it was part of my process that i when I was working through everything that came up that I felt that um, that it was something that we were both going through, and yet I was the one that was um, needing I guess more support to get through it. And, and I felt guilty for that. But he said that I, you know, he didn't feel that way. Yeah.
0: Um. So you said that you're quite open and honest with your story and I, th- I can see from your questionnaire that you've actually, you know, you've posted about it on social media and things like that. Basically, what was the reception of your friends and family of, you know, you needing to go through treatment? Were you upfront at the very beginning or was it something that you sort of you know, you kept on the down low for maybe your first cycle but then decided to tell them later on because you needed that support?
2: We, yeah, we didn't tell people while we were stimming the first cycle but we told them um during, after the transfer. We told them after the transfer that we had just done IVF and that I was pregnant because I had done the home test and they had been positive. Um, so we told people then um And, but after that, we told people straight away that we Mm -hmm. were beginning to stim, like that I was starting injections. We told, um, our, you know, our, our our family on like the group chat and, um, my colleagues and what just, I was very open with it. I think the main, I think the main reason was that I had had, I'd, I'd only ever had one spontaneous pregnancy in my life, which was in 2017 before we got married or just maybe 2016 before we had gotten married. Um, And, and again, that was an early miscarriage and and that's the only pregnancy that I had had. Um, And we hadn't told anyone about that pregnancy because it was – so short between when we found out and when that pregnancy ended, we we hadn't told anyone and then we lost that pregnancy. And I was like, and so we hadn't, we didn't tell anyone because it hadn't really come up yet. And I just remember that loss was so difficult to go through for me, for the most part, because I felt like this, this huge thing had happened in our lives and, you know, and, and this, um potential baby that we'd lost um I like I needed that loss acknowledged I I needed that that baby acknowledged even if it was only with us in in pregnancy for a couple of weeks I still felt that it was entitled to be acknowledged as part of our life and that pregnancy and that loss was entitled to be acknowledged where we were up to it was the most strange experience for me to have been pregnant and lost that baby and no one talk about it and my life just go on as normal and so when we were doing IVF I think that experience was um, I guess you know relatively fresh on my mind where I thought no matter what the outcome, is I'm we're going to I'm going to share we're going to share what we're doing because if it doesn't work or it results in a miscarriage or um, whatever happens I need to be able to speak about it and I need to have I need to have that loss or that person acknowledged because they deserve it and I deserve it and we deserve it and I'll families you know and close ones deserve it as well like I would hate to think that one of my friends or family members was going through such a huge um you know journey or such a huge loss and they didn't think that they could share it and they had to carry that themselves I would hate not having that opportunity to support them in that as well and so I guess that's where my head was at was that i I thought I felt it was fair on all fronts that we allow ourselves to be supported and that we allow our you know little baby, even if it doesn't get out of the petri dish, to be acknowledged because we love them so much already.
0: that's mm-hmm. really beautiful, um I think you know the topic, hard topics, or, you know, particularly surrounding things like grief and things like that, people tend to think that, you know, after you've suffered or, you know, I hate that word suffered, um, but, you know, after you've gone through a miscarriage or a pregnancy loss or, or you're going through IVF, that you kind of don't want to talk about it some people assume that but sometimes that's all you want to talk about is is what's going on you know and how you're feeling and things like that so I you think know, that can generally be a bit of an assumption that people think okay it's really hard so they probably just want to ignore that it's even happening when that's not the case and that sounds like it's very much not the case for yourself as well. Yeah so. I
2: think it's very like and and this obviously grief and loss and trauma is such a personal issue and the coping strategies that each individual have uh, will be different to the person or the woman or the man that comes after them. So I can only speak for myself and my experience, but I I think that we've come a long way from um, that uh, kind of old school concept of not talking about grief or loss or um, kind of perception of negative things that happen in your life. And and I think and I think it's because it makes people uncomfortable to talk about it or there's, um, you know, there's um, a negative um, idea that uh, comes with it. And I think that's where like the not talking about pregnancy until you are outside of the first trimester in case that pregnancy is lost or, or whatever. And I, I think that that's an awful way to um, deal with it because the first trimester is where you need all of the support because you, you know, if it doesn't go well, or it, you know, it results in a miscarriage, or it results in, um, you know, like a, a termination or a medically um, induced termination, or you know, recommended termination, or um, or or it works really well and you're happy and you want to share that news. Like, I think that we've come a long way from that, and I think that that perception that idea I think it is shifting within society around sharing difficult news and supporting each other with difficult news.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: think that it will continue to do so. I think yep. each generation will get a bit better at that
0: mm-hmm. um, So on that topic how would you recommend um, family family or friends of people going through IVF support those people? what What is something that you could recommend for them?
2: I think I, um, I mean, I, I, agree with what you guys have said. I've listened to your, um, interviews when, when you've, um, listed them on the podcast and I was the same. I think that just having the, the check-in of, um, with your friends was all I needed from, from my friends and, um, and they delivered. Like, I am so lucky to have such a, you know, tribe of women, um, and men in my life, but just checking in when they know you're going through, and, through it to see, you know, where you're up to and what, what stage are you up to, you know, in, in the process and how are you feeling and and just checking in so that, um, you know, that, that you know that they're thinking of you or giving you an, opp- an opportunity to have a little chat and a debrief about where you're going for me was the most important part was just checking in to see what's going on. And I think that enables the person on the receiving end to give as much or as little as they want to. So, you know, they, they can just say, yeah, I'm good if they don't want to talk about it. And if they do want to talk about it, you've opened the door for conversation with them where they can go a bit deeper if they want to.
0: Um, I have a quick question um, before we wrap it up. So we've got, i will probably say we've got one more question after this um just i know you've only just touched on your treatment privately um with your other doctor um how do you feel the treatment has differed from private to public or bulk billing clinics so far in your journey
2: um i think that i think that's a really good question um i don't think i know enough yet to definitively answer I've, I've had friends that have um, gone private and then they have gone to a bulk billing clinic and what they said their experience was that um, the drugs and everything are the same it's more the um, one-to-one experience that differs the most so um, I think they had like you know a set nurse you know a, a designated nurse that would be their consistent contact and would call them and um you know and give updates and um they had the camera that you get like the day by day um update with the development of your embryos that was definitely different that they said that, that that was the the main difference that they experienced going from one to the other um I haven't done IVF with my new doctor. I've obviously only done the surgery, but um, I would agree with that so far is that um, that's a very different experience. He has called us several times um, just at, you know, seven o'clock at night when we're getting dinner ready because something's come up. Like the first time we saw him, he called us, he called my husband because he had a follow-up question that he realised that he hadn't asked that he wanted to speak to my husband about and then he called um, me, you know, after the surgery when I had a question and he called me the other night after an appointment because he had, you know, a, a follow-up question or some follow-up information. Like that's, if that's any sign of what would be involved in an IVF cycle, then that is definitely very different than the bulk feeling where you are kind of just um, – a number so to speak and, and you have to take the initiative to reach out and if you have questions you need to initiate it and ask and be happy to wait until they get back to you and again it's fine because it's bulk build like I'm I'm happy and I, and I would never complain about it because I feel very fortunate to be in a country where we have um, capacity to engage in a bulk build fertility service, you know, not every country has that available to them. And if that's the only difference that um I get, I'm happy to to sacrifice that um more individualized service as an aspect. I'm not willing to compromise a difference in healthcare with the the actual, you know, science that's involved in the process.
0: Yeah, your quality of treatment. You don't really want to
2: compromise um, That's kind of TBA for me. I guess that's the discussion that we're having at the moment is if at the end of the three months we haven't conceived and we do want to do a fifth cycle of IVF, do we want to um, proceed with the specialist that to date has given us amazing treatment and I feel very comfortable with or do we... um, go back to the bulk billing place and kind of test out how my body responds because there's no guarantee that the removal of the endo could change things. Mm -hmm. So do we use the bulk billing clinic to kind of test out what happens with my body to see so that we can take that information back to the private specialist and say, this is what happened after the endo. Would you change anything before we spend, you know, an IVF cycle amount of money with him?
0: Mm -hmm um so basically if you could speak to yourself at the start of your fertility treatment um what would you say to yourself
2: um uh, it's going uh, to be tough it's going to be tougher than you think babe I think is what I would say um but you can handle it Mm -hmm. with some help I'd say to get help earlier than I did with the gift of hindsight, see the psychologist before you start, you know like have um developed <laughs> that relationship before you start so that when you need it, it's already there, and just work through each step as it happens, and that's only available with the gift of hindsight. There was no way of knowing that you know we'd be four cycles in we're still no baby um but yeah
0: just take care of yourself is my advice your hindsight can definitely help other people though that's why we ask that question is because you know someone who's just started might be listening and you know, they might think to themselves, I don't really need it. And then they hear like your story and everything that's happening. And it's like, okay, like I know for me, if I had have heard this story, I'd have been like, right, I'm going to be really open with everyone. You know, like I'm going to, I'm going to utilize that information right now. Cause I, I definitely didn't. Um, Yeah. So that's something yeah, that's really that valuable. That was why I feedback.
2: went as public as I did. Like I only started my social media, my Insta page, um, after cycle three I think in between cycle three and cycle four and I did it for that reason as well I found a lot of comfort in connecting with um the women that had been through it um on social like on you know YouTube and Insta that had been going through it I found a lot of comfort in following their stories and their pages and there was so much information on there as well that I didn't know to ask about until I followed their stories so i thought that in starting my i guess very small social media presence i was hoping to number one have my losses you know acknowledged that i i was acknowledging Mm -hmm. them not anyone else but i was acknowledging them but also be a space that potentially someone just starting the process might find some info that could either give them knowledge or give them comfort in their own story
0: Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like listening to the podcast and would like to share your story, we will pop the link in the show notes. Be sure to hit subscribe so when we release new episodes, it lands straight into your listen now. If you could also leave us a review for the show, that would be so appreciated. No words are needed, just stars. If you're on the Apple app, scroll down to the bottom of the podcast page and tap to rate. This makes a massive difference to our show's visibility and helps us to get our show out and about to others experiencing fertility treatment. IVF Tales is an independent production made by Amy and I. Music is by Voladka Lushenko. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts.